Well, last week I, I started by telling you about my friend Craig, whose daughters labeled her uh, car, car Bluetooth connection God. And so when her phone disconnects from their car, they get this message, God is disconnected. <laughs> I told Craig this week uh, on Monday that I'd shared this in my message and uh, he pulled out his phone and showed me a picture of his car dash display that he'd taken last week that has this message. Take a look at the screen. God is no longer visible. (laughs) I love it. God is no longer visible. You, You never know, Craig's Bluetooth messages could be, you know, sermon openers for me for weeks to come if this, if this keeps up. That would have been the kind of message that I believe Jesus's followers would have thought or might have felt when they heard Jesus say, I'm going away. God is no longer visible. You see, those first disciples, they came to believe that in Jesus, Jesus had made God clear, made God visible. The Apostle John, we've been kind of living in his book this last month, said in the first chapter of his gospel, verse 18, he says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And Paul would go on to say that the the Son is the, the visible expression of the invisible God. And Jesus came teaching and preaching this, that you want to know what God looks like? Look at me. Look at my life. Look at my character. Look at my teaching. And then he said, I'm going away. Yeah, I'm no longer going to be visible to you like I have been for these these years. But Jesus said something next that was to shift their understanding of, of what God was up to entirely. He said, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. He said, when I go, I'm going to send you the Spirit. You're going to receive the gift of, of the Spirit and I'm going to be visible to you in even even better way, more intimately than you can imagine. And he did. As we said last week, Pentecost happened where the Spirit came and was poured out on his followers. And, and over this last month, we've been looking at this invitation Jesus makes to us to, to abide in him as, as, as he abides in us. And we've been asking, how do we abide? We've looked at the three ways historically that the church has kind of done this, the, the evangelical kind of stream and the sacramental. And, and last week, we talked about the Pentecostal approach to abiding in Jesus. And we talked about how the, the Spirit enables this connection to the living God, this connection to Jesus. The Spirit, through the Spirit, we no longer have just a faucet, just some ideas about God, We're now actually connected to the pipeline. We're actually now connected to the water supply, life itself. And when we enter into the life of the Spirit, if we're given, it's like we're given these kind of special glasses. We're given new lenses with which we can see with spiritual eyes, which makes Jesus visible to us. And and I'd say, which makes it actually possible to follow an invisible God. Jesus says, follow me. How do we do that? We do that through the the fact that the Spirit makes Jesus real to us. He opens us up to this abiding relationship with with the Son. Now, last week we talked about this a little bit more personally. How do we be filled with the Spirit? How how do we walk that out? Uh, Be more intentional and open to the Spirit's working in us. 
And this week I want to ask the question, how do we do that as a community? How do we do this together? What are, the, are, what are some of the practices or attitudes we might hold to be more intentional about the Holy Spirit working among us as a church? Again, I'll just shout out to, to Gordon T. Smith. Love this guy who wrote this book, the Evangelical, uh, Sacramental, and, and Pentecostal, Why the Church Should Be All Three. Just inspired this series and grateful for it. But first, i uh, got five things, five uh, sort of themes we're going to tackle this morning if, that we are more engaged with the Holy Spirit as a community. First of all, if we're going to take the Holy Spirit seriously as a church, we'll be open to surprises. Um, how many saw and heard the wind on Friday night and through Saturday morning? We have these trees in our backyard that or as a backdrop in our backyard of just waving back and forth to the wind. The wind is pretty wild. And Jesus compares the Holy Spirit to the wind in John chapter 3. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where, it go- where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit, we're told, can't be controlled, can't be steered, can't be manipulated. The Spirit instead is wild. And and, and the Spirit also is infinitely creative. I love this about God. That means buckle up. You kind of never know what he's going to do next. Life in the Spirit won't be boring. It'll be surprising. It was kind of like my my experience walking the the Spanish uh, El Camino pilgrimage this last fall. And and I had set, I'd set out when I first began to, to head, you know, eastern Spain. And, and, and then the, the night before, I found out that that way was going to be clogged with snow. And I'm thinking, I don't want to walk in the snow for 125 kilometers or wherever it was. And so I actually, the ne- very next day, I did something that's out of characteristic for me, is I threw out my carefully, plan- carefully laid plans, my carefully thought out walk, and I went south a couple of hours and began walking back up from, from Portugal into Spain. It was, it was uh, challenging for me to do. It was surprising, though. One of the, the surprising things for me was as I, as I walked this pilgrimage, I ended up walking 225 kilometers or so, was just the, the conversations that I ended up having with people. I went there, actually. My, my primary purpose, if you'd asked me before, was to go there to pray and to think. But God kept interrupting my walk with these faith conversations. One couple I met uh, were named David and Linda, and they're from Holland. And uh, I've been getting notes since I've been back. We became friends, and, and he's been sending me notes. And he sent me one this week, and it's cool to see God working in his life. David uh, grew up in a Christian home. His, his mom was very committed but uh, when he was about 20, he walked away from the church. He walked away from Christian faith, married a, married a girl, had three kids. They're now teenagers and uh, great family. And three years ago, God interrupted his life. His wife was invited to an alpha class at, at a local church, and his wife came to Christ. <laughs> she became a Christian. Suddenly, he's now got this whole new dynamic in his household. And she decided this last fall to do the El Camino pilgrimage. And, and he decided he'd join her for the last week. 
And uh, he did, and there on the, his first day of walking, within an hour of his stepping out with his wife on, on the walk towards the coast, he met me. And for whatever reason, he and his wife and I became friends. Uh, for, for a lot of that week, we spent time walking together and uh, were great companions. And in terms of what God was doing in him, in his story, he says, Derwin, you're part of that, because I feel like God assigned me a pastor to walk the Camino with me. It's like you're, he was assigned to me, and we got a chance to have just kind of natural faith conversations along the way, and in his notes to me, he's told me that since he's got home, uh, back in November, he started going to church with his wife. They now go together. And uh, interesting, we're, I'm, I'm helping with the Alpha course right now. I'm, we're on week five. David's on week four. <laughs> he's a week behind because he's been going to the Alpha course, and he says, I like it. It's actually making a, a real difference to me. It's like God has been, been, been surprising David and rewriting his understanding of the Christian faith. And for me, it was just the surprise of, I had a plan to walk and pray, and God did something different in my whole walk. And it's a, it's a great thing, I'd say, for us personally to be open to the Spirit interrupting us getting in the way of our plans, getting in the way of our our agendas, what we're up to. And we're also called to be open to the surprising work of the Spirit when we gather as a church, especially when we worship. There's to be this readiness for the Spirit showing up. And that means we might occasionally experience an abrupt change of plans in how we do things on a Sunday morning. It means that we will hold lightly our service orders, by the way, every church I know of has an order of service, which is simply a plan of what they're going to do on Sunday mornings. Even the most informal gatherings have some kind of plan on how it's supposed to go. But just to remember, the plan, it's never about the plan. Why we gather is never about the plan. The service is about God. He's our lead. Now, there's a tension here. The Apostle Paul made it really clear that our worship ought to have order to it. Uh, the Corinthian church, when, which we know that Paul wrote a, an awful lot of letters to, it's clear they were kind of Pentecostal. When it came to the Spirit, you get a sense that their, their gatherings were a little bit on the wild side, right? Loud and boisterous and maybe even chaotic. And, and Paul warns about this, how their Wildness could at times distract people from God. They could actually get in the way of God working in their midst. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 gives boundaries for their worship around practices like speaking in tongues and prophecy. He says, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Order is good, says Paul. Now, if Paul was writing today to to churches like us and other churches, he might say the same thing. He might say, Rain it in, people. <laughs> you know, your, your, your quote, worship is getting in the way of worship. For others, Paul might say, hey, make a little room for God. Make, make some space. Open up your programs and your agendas so that there is, is room for God to break in. Gordon T. Smith's analysis of many churches, he says this. He says, we are inclined to be open to the work of the Spirit as long as the Spirit follows the rules, learns the prayer book, 
respects our liturgies, agrees with our particular interpretation and reading of Holy Scripture, and affirms our structures of good governance. He goes on to say, but the witness of the New Testament suggests otherwise, that the Spirit is free. That is, the Spirit is able and willing and insistent on bypassing all of this and surprising us. I guess one of the questions I sense God asking us this morning is this. Are we open to the kinds of signs and wonders that might come if we opened ourselves more up to the Holy Spirit? Are we open to to God actually breaking our boxes and, and blowing up our maybe confined ideas of just how God works the alternative might be kind of like a, a seem like a safer path, the tried and true and predictable. I'd also say that alternative is not very life-giving and not <laughs> and actually boring. I sense we're we're come to gather. When we gather to worship together, we're to come with this prayerful expectancy that God would show up, that, that God would meet us each week in surprising ways. We can't make that happen, by the way. We can't manufacture that. The Spirit blows as the Spirit wants to, but we can pray and seek. And I'll make this commitment to you as your pastor, that we'll continue to work hard to craft services that will leave space and leave room for God to show up. Amen? Okay. Leads us to our next theme, which is expressive worship. It's uh, funny, I pulled off my bookshelf this week, uh, the classic book by J.I. Packer. He's a renowned theologian called Keeping in Step with the Spirit. Uh, It's kind of funny, as I I read some of uh, this book again, he talks about the value of of Pentecostal or charismatic worship that is expressive, that, that takes seriously the fact that God gave us our emotions. He made us not just brains or minds, he made us holistic beings, shaped by our hearts. It's kind of funny, like I said, hearing, hearing Packer talk about this because Packer is British. He's the stiff upper lip kind of guy. He's, he's Anglican in background and evangelical, and he's not exactly the most exuberant guy. I fell asleep in some of his lectures. But to expressive worship, J.I. gives an enthusiastic two thumbs up. And I think he's right. Paul, in Ephesians 5, 18, challenges us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in the very next verse, he goes on to say, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. He says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. In other words, Paul urges us to be filled, and then he urges us to sing, suggesting that being filled with the Spirit will be reflected in song and praise and in hearts that are filled with thanksgiving. We know this, don't we, Lincoln, that music is powerful. (laughs) Um, You've dedicated your life to it for good reason. It's worthy of that. Carrie, and and your play, your musical this week, why are we showing up? Why are people coming to your play? Because music has a way of of speaking to our hearts and and has a, a, a way of opening us up to one another even. Brings us together. And so, yes, we'll, we'll worship in the careful reading of Scripture and in our thoughtful celebration of the Lord's Supper, and we will worship with exuberant song. 
some of you, this uh, might feel like a little bit of a sticking point. The idea of worshiping exuberantly kind of weirds you out. Maybe it goes against your likes or your preferences or even, you know, your personality. I challenge you to kind of take baby steps. Maybe imagine on a Sunday morning that you're actually at a a Canucks game or at a Whitecaps match or a Coldplay concert. I dare you to sit on your hands in any one of those settings. You don't do it, right? And and I I don't know, even, even conservative Canadian types get worked up in a hockey game for whatever reason, right? You get invested in those moments. And I'd say that's the key. I don't think it matters what, what exactly you do or how, how you engage. It's that you engage, that you get a little invested in worship, that you just don't kind of check out or go through the motions. You, you be present to God. So in terms of your expressing yourself, maybe again, like I said, take baby steps, uh, like slightly elevating your hands or slightly raising your voice. Instead of not singing, sing quietly. And when God moves you, do a quiet little whoop. Okay? Can I get a whoop? Anybody? So good. So, so good. Moving on. If we're being intense spirit as a congregation, we'll be intentional about healing prayer, about praying for and anointing the sick. Paul's list of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, he mentions that there'll be those who have the gift of healing. James 5, 14, it says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. You know, as I was thinking about the healing ministry of of, uh, the Spirit in our church and in, in the church, I got a message this week that was a huge encouragement to me from really about my son, about Noah. Uh, Many of you know that Noah is serving as a YWAM missionary for this seven-week period right now in Papua New Guinea. And uh, it's supposed to be incommunicado. We're not supposed to hear a word. But about 10 days ago, we got this short little text, this little message saying, just want to let you know, I got Wi-Fi for a moment. I'm okay. Everything's too, you know, we're we're all right. We're alive. And things are good. That's that's what we got. It It was about two sentences. And we're like, that is so good. He kind of came up, the little periscope came up for air there for a moment and, and then uh, let, let us, let us uh, hear a little bit, a little window into what he's go, going through. Um, but what was really cool, uh, saw on Facebook that our, there's pictures showing up on, online of our son. I, I got friended this week by a, a, a kid from, from Papua New Guinea, from this guy, this young guy named Jonathan and I could see that he was a friend of Noah's. That was the only connection he had to me was, was Noah. And these were the pictures of him and his friends. You can see Noah's up there. It's hard to tell which one. He looks like a native Papua New Guinean now, doesn't he? He's in the back of that one. It just looks like he fits right in, right? And then, then he's the guy in the right here with, he's already got matching shirts with the locals. I, I don't know how that happens. Um, but I asked this guy, Jonathan, in his message, I replied to it, and I said, how did you get connected to Noah? And he wrote this back. He said, your son came to my village called Gare. That's where we met, and we became friends instantly. I was assigned to translate for him, and everywhere he goes, he gives testimonies. And he actually prayed for three sick people, and they were healed instantly. 
That's a whoop, isn't it? That's a whoop moment? Isn't that good? Maybe, maybe Noah has the gift of healing, maybe? But how cool is that? Talk about God blowing up my son's box. You know, an idea. My, my son has talked about going into medicine, right? That's been something he's thought of and, and dreamed of. Maybe God's got that plan in a whole different way. Does God heal? heal? Absolutely. Yes, he does. It's the kind of thing that can happen when the Spirit comes. Now, to qualify, the, the ministry of healing, prayer, or anointing the sick doesn't mean we ignore the good work of medicine. I think we can expand our, our notion of the ministry of healing to our health care system. I, I, I think in many ways, health practitioners are, are doing God's work as they care for our, our minds and as they care for our bodies. I, I think their work is often the healing work of the Spirit. At the same time, when we, we talk about healing, we want to take care to not ignore the reality of suffering around our world or, or suffering in our church or, or suffering among those who, who follow Christ. In fact, we're told as, as part of following Jesus, we're called to suffer with him. And yet, we're called to pray for the sick with the expectation that they will know the healing grace of the Holy Spirit. I, I think expectation is uh, a challenging word, but it's also a really, really good word. We can expect good things from God. And yet, we don't presume to dictate what he's to do or to understand when he doesn't do what he, we think he should do. <laughs> Why, there are times when, when God seems to leave heartfelt, long-held prayers of ours unanswered. But we do believe that God, by his spirit, wants to intervene in our broken world, in our bodies, and in our communities, and in our relationships. So a little, little request of you this morning. I'd love for you to be bolder in asking for prayer when you're sick. I'd love for you to be bolder in asking for prayer when you're in trouble. If anyone's sick, if anyone's in trouble, pray, we're told. Call the elders. Receive prayer. We, we kind of gut it out alone. We, we kind of just go to the doctors, as good as they are. Let's, let's go to the Lord. We, we, we'll give you opportunities every Sunday. We'll, we'll pray. You call us up. We get it on the prayer. We'll, we'll, we'll pray for you. But pray. Next Sunday, we're going to have a special time at the end during our communion service. We're going to have an opportunity for healing prayer. Our elders and our prayer team will be prepared to anoint you with oil if you'd like. You can go for prayer. They'll be lined up at the back next week during our service. I just think this is something that we can never get out of the habit of doing, <laughs> that we just keep on going to God with our need, and uh, we do that together. I sense we can grow in this, folks. I really do. Moving on, I want to talk about the fourth thing, about the prophetic ministry of the Spirit. Those within the charismatic or Pentecostal traditions have usually affirmed the possibility of God speaking to a congregation or a person through a prophetic word, a word from God for, for a person or for the community. 
And if that word, that prophetic word, is truly from God, it'll be consistent with the teaching of Scripture. But at the same time, in a sense, it'll be a new word from God. It'll be something that's, that's guidance or encouragement to the church about how they are called to live in a way that's faithful to, to Christ and the gospel. And of course, discernment is always required. But, but being open to this prophetic ministry of, of the Spirit is about an openness to God speaking quite personally and sometimes quite directly by the Spirit to a person and the church. I don't have uh, time in this message to unpack this entirely, but let me just point you to one passage. Again, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul talks about the value of prophecy to the church. This is what he says. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries of the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So much there. Um, follow the way of love, Paul says. Love actually is the rule, the, the biggest rule. And then he says, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Why? Well, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort, and they edify the church. I found this to be true. Anytime someone has spoken prophetically into my life, A, for one, it's mostly been encouragement, and B, when it's been a warning, it's been for the strengthening of my faith. God wants to speak to us in those manners. A couple of years ago, uh, we were passing, we're coming way home, and we stopped in London for a few days in the UK, and we attended uh, Holy Trinity Brompton, which is Nicky Gumbel's church, and Nicky Gumbel was there. He's the lead pastor at, at there. He's also the founder of the Alpha Course, and uh, after the service, they invited people up for prayer, and I always go, by the way, almost always when I'm at another church, I go, and uh, they prayed for me, and they, the guy who prayed said, is, do I have your permission to share a couple pictures that God's given me? And he shared a couple pictures, a couple images that were so personal, so, so right for me. And then he shared a scripture that went along with those pictures. And uh, I went away, and I've got to tell you, I've been living on the encouragement of that prayer for two years now. God spoke to me so profoundly that I've been kind of walking that out in my relationship with God. Paul also talks about how prophecy can not just edify a person, but, but edify the church. And I think the ways God has spoken prophetically to our leadership, giving us direction. I, I don't think we would have ever launched out into Kenya and the, the, the village work that we've done there unless the Lord had kind of spoken prophetically into that. God gave us direction with that. Those, those words that we've received have helped give shape to who we are as a church. It's been so good, and yet this is one of those gifts that seems to be packaged with some potential problems. You know, like the, 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 the stereotypical, the Christian guy who goes to the Christian girl and says, God told me you're going to be my wife. And, and the girl wisely responds, for something so important, I would think he'd tell me too, right? As, as, as Christ followers, I think we want to just be a little bit cautious anytime says a thus saith the Lord in front of a sentence. 
We don't really do that at Hillside. We talk more about, I, I sense the Lord saying. That would be a kind of, that's my prophetic gift thing. I sense the Lord saying. I don't know for sure, but this is my sense. What do we do with this? Two things. I'd say we follow Paul's advice, eagerly, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. I want to tell you we're starting a new series next week called Gifted, where we're going to actually talk about how God gives us spiritual gifts that, that are meant to help us bless one another and to change the world, that he's given you a gift. And we're going to talk about that and unpack that. But we're going to eagerly desire the gifts. I think it's good if we actually did that together. We desired that together, that we would together desire that God would increasingly speak to us as a church, that he would bring his encouragement and his guidance. And then as a leadership, we'd, we'd do the hard work of, of teaching into this and working on appropriate boundaries so that there won't be abuses when it comes to speaking prophetic words. We can hurt people if we're not careful with this. But being intentional about cultivating an openness to our hearing God speak prophetically through his people. Final theme this morning. If we're committed to living in and through the power of the Spirit as a church, we'll be committed to working towards unity. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4.4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul says keep the unity of the Spirit. In other words, we're to work towards unity and oneness as a congregation. And when we do that, we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means as a church, we'll take great care, as I've said, it, said time and time again, about how we treat one another. In the verses prior to this, Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Can, can any of us grow in those qualities that we just see on the screen? Anybody? Be completely humble? Can I just be somewhat humble and mostly prideful? Uh, my professor Paul Stephen always says, we don't work at unity. He says, unity is the work. It's what we're about. Secondly, if we're, we're conscious that we are one in the Spirit, we'll be careful how we treat Christians who are from other churches. We'll, we'll be careful about how we think and view other churches or denominations or tribes. I, I think it's kind of crazy how we can be unnecessarily divisive or unkind with other groups that bear the name of Christ. And you know what? You know what when we do that, the watching world isn't impressed. I think they're confused by this. Aren't you supposed to be known by love? The other thing is that church historians will tell you that, that at times where a revival has happened in the church, where God has moved quite dramatically, it's come after a season of God bringing a repentance over disunity. You might say that the Holy Spirit is drawn like a magnet to Christians who love and honor one another. I think the Holy Spirit is also grieved and, and quenched when we act in ways that dishonor one another. You know, this whole, uh, this whole series we've talked about, evangelical, sacramental, Pentecostal, how the church should be all three. Why do we even have to talk about that? Well, I, I think it's because we tend to cluster. <laughs> we tend to, to hang out with folks who are mostly like us, who, who tend to have the same ideas we have. So if you've got churches that are kind of all about the word, you know, good Bible teaching. You've got churches where their singular fo focus is, 
is social justice or, or where the focus is prayer or the focus is the Holy Spirit. Folks, wouldn't we be richer and stronger if we we're in community together learning from one another? celebrating our common ground in Jesus, but also learning to uh, appreciate our differences? Is it hard? i got to tell you, the loving way is always hard. Is it good? Unquestionably so. I love the diversity that we have here at Hillside. So one practical tip on that note. Let's seek to not speak ill of other churches. I'll make that commitment as your pastor that we won't, we won't tear down some other church across town. We'll celebrate what we see God doing in the community. In fact, our elders, we pray every week, not just for this service, we pray actually for the services that are happening across our city, that the Lord would pour out his blessing on each one. And I'd, I'd encourage you, if you've got a church in your neighborhood that you drive past to get to this church, pray a blessing on them every time you go by and refuse to speak ill of them even if you disagree with them. My, uh, my dad, who is, uh, was a very conservative Christ, Christian and, and pastor, was an excellent example to me in this. He refused to speak ill of other churches that he might even have disagreed with. Instead, he prayed. He prayed for them. I think, what, what a better response than, than tearing them down. Pray for them. If, if you see a, a weak point or something where they're failing, Lift them up before the Lord, but don't tear them down because the Spirit loves unity. Okay, well, I'd uh, like to wrap up this morning by bringing us back to Jesus' extraordinary invitation. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Another thing he said in, in John 7, verses 37 to 38, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. God wants to fill every single one of us with his spirit. And God wants to fill this church. And I'd say if, if we're open to him, it's, there's going to be surprises. <laughs> He's going to break apart our, our preconceived agendas and ideas of how he works. He's going to move in our hearts through worship, and, and that might mean expressing ourselves, actually singing out, maybe raising our hands, but at the very least being present to God when we worship. And I believe he wants to bring a greater measure of healing in our midst, healing of the brokenness that we bump into all the time, healing in our lives and healing in the lives of our friends. He wants to speak giving his leadership and guidance and encouragement through prophetic words. And he wants to make us one. May God give us grace to thirst for him more and to seek him. And when we thirst, we're told, streams of living water will flow from within us. When you bow your heads with me, I'm going to invite the music team to come on up. And uh, let's... Let's pray. We uh, sang the song earlier, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And uh, we say that again. Holy Spirit, come in our lives, in our church. Lord, in each of these ways, uh, some of these feel easier to wrap our minds around in terms of the Spirit moving in us as a church. 
But I, I want to pray that uh, for that one that maybe each, of, each one of us, you've spoken to each one of us, I believe, this morning. You put your finger on something. Help us to, to respond. Help us to follow your lead, God. We pray boldly that Hillside Community Church would grow in our abiding with Jesus. That Jesus, you'd become more present and more real to us day after day after day. We might actually have a friendship with you that would be growing. And Spirit of God, thank you for your work in helping us abide. Teach each of us what that looks like. Lead us into those kind of practices and attitudes and a sense of responsiveness to you. That would please your spirit and that would cause him to come more fully in us and in our world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.